Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on the panel, we have Arya Engar. Hello. Eric Bolikowski. Hello there. And me, Sasha Wolf. Charles is not with us this week. And our, we have a special guest this week, which is Alfred Reinhard Baudisch. I hope I didn't completely butcher your name. Uh, oh. Maybe, yeah, maybe you can tell uh, the audience why you're here today and what why you're famous and why everybody wants to hear what you have to say. So basically, I'm here today because I was invited by the Elixir Mix team to talk about my new uh, open source project called Portal Markdown, which is uh, which I call it's a react reactive publishing framework created with Elixir. So yeah, so we can talk about that here. Nice. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. And just to give your audience like a quick wrap up of, of like, what's this thing actually about? I mean, Markdown is in the name, right? Reactive is, is what you just said, but maybe give like a quick overview of, of what kind of problems you're solving with that, what, what it does. Yeah, so basically the elevator pitch or the selling point for part of Markdown is, 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 is what I said before, like a reactive publishing framework, but also with infinite, infinite nested categories and hierarchies of content. So, but what, what does that mean? And yeah, as you ask it. Basically, the difference between part of Markdown, I can answer that by comparing part of Markdown with a static website builder. So with a static website builder, you normally write the content with Markdown, and then you compile the Markdown and publish, and you publish the website. So it's basically you rebuild the whole website every time you make any kinds of changes or additions to, to it. So with Pardon Markdown, your applica Elixir application keeps running there forever. And then if you make any changes to, to your Markdown files or static files or add new files, uh, the, the Elixir application that ha that's running with part of Markdown as a dependence is going to react to those changes without rebuilding the application, without republishing the website or whatever you use part of Markdown for. And then when I say it supports infinite nested categories or hierarchies, it means that you can create uh, an infinite uh, uh, nested folders at any level. And then those folders, you create a kind of uh, taxonomy or category structure for your content. So yeah, basically that's it. Uh, an overview, of course. <laughs> yeah, nice. So 
I guess like we, it's not really infinite, right? Like the, the file system at some point. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, it's still dark. <laughs> yeah, but it's a nice selling point saying infinite, right? <laughs> if you have infinite storage, then it's infinite. Yeah, exactly. Infinite yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I wonder, like, I mean, you, you said that, that it's like basically rebuilds content on, on demand. There, there, there is some, some motion around that happening in some, in the JavaScript, uh, ecosystem, like also with, with tools like Nuxjs and God, all the other things I'm not that familiar with. Probably Eric is way more familiar with it than I am. Um, which also have this, some of these, some of the things which are happening there is that also things can be rebuilt on demand, like statically. To be honest, I'm, I like only know it from like that level because I've never used it, but I'm curious to hear like how, how this compares to, to these, to, to your library and what exactly the differences are there between these two approaches. Yeah. To be, to be honest, I'm not familiar with those uh, JavaScript solutions or name, but I, I can say from a backend point of view, the difference is the content gets rebuilt, like the, the backend, uh, the application. It's not exactly backend. Let's make it clear first. Part of Markdown does not, uh, is not exactly made only for websites. It doesn't depend on Phoenix or Phoenix Live View, for example. It's just, it's just a normal Elixir dependence, right? So you can have any kind of Elixir application as part, uh, getting that content uh, ready for you to be used by anything for anything. So this is the first difference. It's not only for websites. It's not only from front for front end interfaces or, or, or usages because the content is always available in the Elixir application caching, which is uh, use ads, ads, which is the native Elixir caching solution. And yeah, you can get that content in many different ways. For example, recently I, I had a, a private conversation by email that someone's Wanted, wanted to use part of Markdown to provide uh, translation strings for the application and then also send the translation strings to a mobile, a mobile application so they could change the translation strings, for example, in real time and then see the, 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 the app reacting to that. So yeah, I think that's a big difference between uh, what you said in J JavaScript. Of course, I don't know anything about those JavaScript solutions. But uh, yeah, the magic of, I see the magic, but this is, say the magic of part of Markdown is because it's, the content is always available for consumption in this Elixir application. Okay. So the way, the way it sounds is that it could almost be like a kind of like a CMS or back office for administering the content of different things, such as a mobile application, which is definitely an interesting uh, use case. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, uh, yeah, that's a good uh, suggestion. It can be thought of as a CMS as well, because you actually manage the content in, in your uh, as Markdown files, even the static files inside is a given folder or Git repository. That's it, and then uh, yeah, and that's it. Then the application receives that immediately. I'm very curious about the. Um, I mean, from the point of view of like being a developer, say that I'm running my own little tech blog. This is that's running online. I guess. I mean, first of all, the question. I guess I could use I mean, your. Your solution here, your service is basically a static website generator plus plus plus. It offers much more than only that. But if I were to say set up this somewhere on the web, and I also wanted to push updates to my blog, if it was running a blog, what would that setup look like? You know, where would I host it? How does it detect the push? What kind of what are the moving pieces in that equation? Okay, that's a great question. As I said, first, uh, part of MacDAO does not have any other dependence. So, for example, 
you don't have to run it with a Phoenix, uh, a Phoenix application, which is basically the, the main web framework for Elixir, right? But of course, I built with in, K, uh, in mind to build my own wiki, wiki website, uh, which is powered by Phoenix and Phoenix like live view. So what's the process? Like right? you create a new Phoenix application, you, or you already have your Phoenix application, for example, and then you just add part of Markdown as a dependence. And then from there, you can call, uh, it's called Pardo Markdown dot repository, which is the Elixir module for that. And this repository contains the content that's compiled from the, the Markdown files. And then to, to your next question. So where the, where does this content comes from? So initially part of Markdown was built with the idea of you having a, a separate content folder outside of your application. And then I was uh, syncing the content kind of manually, just like uh, old times where we had like SFTP or FTP, where you hit save in your text editor and then it syncs automatically with the FTP. And to be honest, I was testing with that. And then I would hit save and see my website in production react immediately. Say, oh, come on, this is really nice. But uh, And then I added support like to... Uh, just thinking with the, there is an open source application that's extremely popular, but I don't know if you know it. It's called Sync Things. And then uh, you can sync a folder with different computers. It's just like a Dropbox, but not exact Dropbox because you can sync a given folder between different mm-hmm. computers and servers. So I also tested that. And yeah, I hit save my computer locally, and then I would see my website reflect the changes immediately. And nice. then uh, this is was the first version. It's this it, it still works that way because I just, have to, the, I just have to say you're making me really nostalgic. It reminds me about my old PHP days, it's like you know, <laughs> exactly dragging and dropping and updating the site live. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's exactly my days. <laughs> it's exactly that. The difference that we write in Mark now, and or you you can even ho- uh, drag and drop a whole structure of folders inside this other folder and see it mm-hmm. reflecting from your computer to your website. But then, of course, this is not, not so useful for most cases. And then the, uh, then the, we added another thing called the repository watcher that then watches for a Git repository and reflects the change based on, on push pushes and give it to the repository. This is actually comes actually from, from the first uh, uh, contributor to the project. That's not only me. But a new contributor, it's Cod. So I also, I also want to say thanks to Cod here because he added uh, the initial support for repositories to part of Markdown. So, but basically under the hood, it's still the same mechanism because uh, part of Markdown watches for a Git, Git repository, then pull the changes inside an, a folder inside or outside the application. And then there is a, there is a, a, a library in part of Markdown called File Watcher. That keeps watching this folder for changes. So you can either change this folder manually in the way I told you, like a old school FTP, or even in your own computer, you can place changes inside that folder, or via the Git repository, which in the end only also changes a, a given folder that File Watcher is going to pick up the changes. So yeah. But that that watch, however, uh, I was just reading a bit your repository. I'm not. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounded to me like. It's kind of more a kind of, of a pull approach than a push approach because the 
the, uh, this is the file watcher. I think there was something about like you were just uh, continuously pulling the directory listing and then on a change detection, then you would update it. So it's more like, okay, I'm, I'm checking the directory every minute or so instead of actually, not. it's not like truly reactive or am I mistaken here? No, in this case, it's actually truly reactive because the file watcher itself is reactive. It, it doesn't, it, it detects file modification events mm-hmm. and then reacts to that. It actually doesn't right. keep pulling the, 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 the director. But for the, the repository itself, it's not, of course, reactive. It's a, 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 there is a pull time. So for example, every 30 seconds, it, it, mm. it fetches the Git repository to see if there are changes. But the file watcher is truly reactive. Cool. If you, how would you go about making the GitHub repository watcher, so to speak, reactive? How could that, what could that look like? Yeah. In this case, uh, the, the repository watcher, uh, you, you have a, a timer you can configure. For example, every 30 seconds. You git fetch, git fetch. Okay, there are changes, there are changes. So git pull, and then the pull is pulled inside the content folder. And then file watcher is going to detect the changes and react to the changes. So for the git itself, it's not truly reactive. But uh, since, as I said, under the hood, this is still the file watcher that's reacting to the changes coming from it. So yeah, that's how it works for, for git. It's, it's a pull mechanism. Like you can skip pulling, pulling. Well, as well, but um, if you were to make that uh, truly reactive, what would you need to then build? Perhaps uh, some kind of like a message detection for about like basically subscribing to events from GitHub, basically. I guess. Yes, exactly. Do. I could build a, a webhook mechanism to be then react, then uh, GitHub or any other Git service would send me events, and that's a good uh, right. good, good question. Yes, I can even add that to the, to the roadmap. Then we can mm-hmm. truly reactive even with Git. Mm. Yeah, that means also always a question of like, how, what are the requirements, right? Like, is thirty seconds good enough? Probably for most people. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. rather rather err on the on the safe side of like a pulley mechanism which which definitely will work like the webhook can always get lost and stuff but i okay. didn't check the start count or anything on your repository i mean how many people are actually using this do you have do you see some people who are deploying it to uh, if you see the, the hex status that's 254 downloads probably most of those are mine <laughs> so far <laughs> there's another guy using uh 72 stars yeah i don't know only another one that's using this so far but to be honest today we decided that the, the company i work for that's going to be used for the company website and for the new blog for the company uh, the company is not new but there will be a new website that is going to be built and the founders are not tech guys but they also want a easy way to update without relying on, on for example wordpress or other cms and then I suggested I s- to use part of my DAO and, and then I'm going to teach them how to use Git. And then they can add new posts at any time, even change the stack content of the website itself, for example, product features and so on and so forth. Then this is going to be like the first production case. That's not my own weaker blog. I do wonder, like, uh, what's the use case where you said, okay, I want to build this thing myself, for, especially like when you look at the, the context of having a Git repository and then on demand rebuilding things, which is like something a lot of static site generators already support. I mean, just look yeah. at, for example, GitHub pages, right? Like we just built, simply built into GitHub, uh, which also builds on demand, like my own website, which is fairly empty, but it exists. That's <laughs> it's right. It's also rebuilt like that. So 
what, what what prompted you to like what was the problem you still try was trying to solve you were trying to solve when you when you built this yeah I, I was trying to solve a very specific problem from my own uh, let's I use of course you probably know Evernote right and then I use an alternative called Joplin Joplin app it's an open source Evernote alternative that has like I think I think thirty thousand GitHub stars already. Uh, but the difference between Joplin and uh, Evernote is that Joplin creates notes as markdown files and, uh, and they have a folder structure in your website, in your uh, computer. And then you can also sync those folders whatever, however way you need. For example, I, I sync it with Dropbox so I can use my notes in all devices I have. But then I, I write a lot of notes because uh, I, I do a lot of personal studies, for example, for art or languages and stuff like that. And my notes normally stay private, my own Joplin. So basically, I wanted to build a Joplin website publisher. Uh, and also, I wanted to I, I wanted to finally do something with the Phoenix Live View because I work with Phoenix since 2015. And since 2015, I use also Phoenix Channels a lot, especially my work, for example, currently I was hired because of my experience with the Phoenix Channels, for example. But then I never used Phoenix Live View because the current project I work on does not need Live View. So this was a, an opportunity to build, uh, to solve my own pain with, uh, because I wanted to publish my Markdown notes as a website. I wanted to learn Phoenix Live View. And also, I wanted to, uh, uh, as soon as it hit saving Joplin, which is like Evernote, I wanted to see my website being updated as well without doing any kind of Git integration, as I told you. So that's why I first started syncing from my own computer, just like the old times. Yeah, that's it. Basically, that's it. And then, of course, I want that indeed. Also, I, I couldn't also find a way to do uh, what I call the infinite content hierarchies with, uh, with the other uh, static website builders. It was a kind of cumbersome because I would have to manually define categories and things like that. And uh, in Joplin, I have like many, many subfolders of notes like uh, art, Van Gogh, uh, blah, 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 blah. So then I wanted to also create like week sections or blog sections or documentation sections automatically based on my folder hierarchy. So th this is another thing I saw with, uh, with part of Markdown. And uh, of course, then if you see in the, the imposter page, I say automatic creation of taxonomy trees and con content trees. This is based also on the folder structure. Post navigation links. So previews or next posts. Of course, other static website builders and especially documentation builders have that. But Markdown Mark also has that, right? Custom sorting orders. So I wanted to order some stuff by priority or the same order that I have the notes in Joplin. I know DocuSource, which is the documentation builder from Facebook, also allows you to sort by priority because documentations you have getting started, uh, first steps, then advanced steps. Those are not sorted by title. They are sorted by priority, right? You have to first read the documentation getting started. Then after that, you go to advanced topics. So part of Markdown also supports that. So in the end, uh, it was all built around my need to publish my own Markdown notes from Joplin and things like in my own studies. And then it turned, I, I decided to make it like a, a more generic project for them. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, 
whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So one of the things I was looking at the readme, it, the format at the very top, the metadata, it looks very similar to, uh, especially an Elixir map, right? And it looks very similar to Nimble Publisher or something like that. Yes. Uh, uh, do, are you using that under the hood? Uh, no, I'm not using that under the hood, but uh, I, I I basically copied and pasted that from Nimble Publisher and they made some same changes. Of course, the license is added at the, the end of the readme saying it comes from Nimble Publisher. But yeah, and now after that, we I added support for custom parsers and the, the contributor that works in Project Well, which is Cody, I mentioned before, is currently creating a front matter par, uh, metadata parser as well. So instead of the Elixir map, similar to Nimble Publisher, you can also have the same format as other website builders. Very cool. That's actually going to be my second question. And like, just you can like, if you can elaborate on that a little bit, like just in, the, in terms of like themes for the markdown, like just uh, to in increase its usability, like is there, is there a roadmap for that? Like adding more HTML parser and cu custom themes? Yes, uh, yeah, there's some things regarding that in the, in the, in the roadmap. For example, the first one will be adding syntax highlighting. And then uh, I, I think after the syntax highlighting and the YAML parser, we, I probably going to work on the support for plugins. So yeah, I, I feel the need for plugins right now for some things I do. And then I'm going to add plugins. Plugins will basically, you add something in the markdown and then it's going to be parsed. We're using an Elixir module. Exactly similar to what, uh, you know, of course, uh, Ugu, Ugu does. So you can have uh, any kind of plugins with Ugu. So I'm going to do something like that as well. Basically, uh, I, I'm getting like bits and pieces of every possible documentation and what static website builder. But as I said, doing this in a most, uh, with the, the, with keeping in mind of keeping this content available for consumption by any Elixir application, not on websites and things like that. Okay. So I assume I, I didn't completely read to read me. So um, please bear with me, but I assume it's mostly about then compiling static markdown files. So there's like no interpolation scenario going on where you can then also pass in data into the markdown document to, I don't know, do a EEX template scenario, right? Yeah, right now, no, there's nothing like that. And uh, probably the the support for plugins will add a bit of that, but it's not exactly parsing like the, the Phoenix templates. And uh, that is the case I told you about before uh, of, for example, the company that use, that wants to use part of MarkDAO as as translation provider. So right now there's no way to do that because it just compiles MarkDAO to HTML, for example, or pure text. So I, we may add like a JSON plugin support, and then you may write JSON and it translates to, to Elixir maps and then you can consume those JSON maps. It does Elixir maps, sorry, uh, Elixir maps uh, as any way you want. So then this, for example, those Elixir maps can be sent via a URL or Phoenix channels as translation streams, for example, which is this case. 
But this is not exactly parsing the file, it's just adding a different uh, file file type support. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So like when you, when you said that this can be used for anything not necessarily web applications, so I could probably also go ahead and say, hey, let's use Puddle Markdown for our email templates, right? Yes. So I have my email yeah. templates in a, in a folder somewhere or a Git repository or whatever. I write them a markdown and then boom, I can just render them out. Of course, template name becomes interesting there because you might want to include your username, but I, just to get the general idea of, of, of how you could also use this a part of having the classic scenario of, of a web-based block. Yes, yeah. Yeah, some, yeah, any kind of, uh, as soon as you think about, okay, well, I need content for my application, no matter what kind of content you can use part of my cloud, then considering, of course, uh, we add new file type supports, uh, different parsers or plugins, things like that. But uh, yeah, it's getting there. Right now, it's I could say it's production ready for uh, websites, for as I wrote in the readme, blogs, documentations, weeks, facts. We are also creating the, the main content uh, of the uh, company website. So things like that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, are there any plans to like split this up a little bit, like architecture-wise, because I mean, you have now have the capability to also look for a GitHub repository, right? But you have also the capability to just look look on this for files changing. You have the capability to do markdown documents, maybe sometimes JSON. So I could also imagine this being like being a core library, right? Which is only for this reactive thing. And then you have renderers, for example, for markdown, some for JSON. And like this Git hub, uh, Git repository watching thing could also be useful in different cases outside of Powder Markdown. So, are there any plans on the roadmap to like look at what you have right now and make a decision of like, okay, maybe what are some separation of concerns we could look at, and maybe we can give some of these capabilities to the community and see what they build with it, right? Yeah, that's a good question. Right now, there's no plans regarding that. Currently, I think the code base is, is not that big, so it's easy to navigate around and, and see the different concerns being separated, right? Yeah, you are not required to use a, a Git repository for the content. So as soon as you, you, in the configuration, you, you leave the repo, remote repository URL string empty, so the repository watcher is not started. But uh, it's a good point to make. Uh, for example, I, the, I see the file watcher could be used for something else. The other things so far, I don't think they, they could be useful uh, being split apart. As soon as we start adding additional parsers and plugins, then that may, may be the case. But right now, I don't see any need for that. Yeah, it was mostly a curiosity thing because I, I do remember like a, a, some past in my, in my job, we had a case where we also wanted to synchronize a GitHub repository. And then like mm. this application was running in Kubernetes. And then we had basically like a pod and like one of the containers basically was this Git sync container, which literally does that, right? Like it looks at a Git repository and syncs it into a specific path. And then that was mounted by a volume. But of course, that could have been a whole lot simpler if we had like one dependency saying, hey, sync this GitHub repository over there into this folder. And like I don't, I don't need, I don't need to deal with the whole other container scenario. That was, what mm, I was okay. when I said, okay, there are there. I, I can see some parts of this being useful in other contexts. So I was curious if, if you already had any plans on, on, on taking a hard look at what of this is useful in which context. But fair enough, if not, right? Like maybe it's a cool contribution. Maybe it's something people can, can help you with. That's a very good point. And now that you, you mentioned from this other different uh, point of view, it, it could be a really good use case, you know, right? 
because then we could split, for example, repository watcher, file watcher, and not exactly go through a compiling pipeline of Markdown or whatever file format we are doing. This is a very good point. I'll add that an issue for that, and then <laughs> someone can eventually <laughs> pick up that and split the project. Good, good idea. <laughs> So yeah, you, you heard it, folks. If, if you want to work on that, <laughs> yes. you want to do some open source Elixir work. <laughs> You're welcome. <Okay. laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was just thought came to mind, supposing that I have a very large website that has uh, something like 100,000 markdown files, and then I change a single file in the kind of source directory. Would it then trigger basically a complete rebuild, or would it be more like a quote-unquote, uh, fractional build where only the specific page gets updated. Yeah, I, st I started building part of Markdown with uh, just a fragments recompilation, right? And it, it's still there somewhere in a branch. I left that as a legacy for so I could go back sometime. But that turned out to be extremely complex for the, the scope of this project because then I... Actually, it was exactly like that, and I was very happy. But as soon as I started adding links and uh, navigation trees and things like that, that was really, really painful to to keep developing like that for the purpose of this project, of course. I didn't want to invest that much time into this initially. So yeah, now we, we basically just recompile everything. But since it happens... Uh, in a background Elixir process and every time it starts a new process for that. And, uh, and there's a, even a back pressure mechanism to avoid like uh, uh, rebuilding, okay, uh, to avoid losing file changes events, then I don't see a problem if you have like 100,000 Markdown files. It, it's Elixir after all, right? And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, why I, 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 since I mentioned the back pressure mechanism, what is it actually? I had a case where I hit save and then the, the file watcher picked up the changes and then the, the content was recompiled. In this case, it was, it was actually purpose a lot of files. And then immediately, immediately I hit save again. And then I, I had a rush condition and then some file events also were missed. And then the content, uh, the file watcher didn't send the content to be recompiled because it assumed it was already uh, compiled. So the back pressure mechanism keeping, keep adds like how many changes are being processed or how many changes are pending. And then as soon as uh, the, the current changes are recompiled, I recompile again just to have uh, the all events flushed from the, from the pipeline. I could have used, for example, Gemfold for that, but that was too overkill. So I just made a very simple uh, back pressure mechanism. Would it make sense to kind of basically just abort the ongoing build to basically and simply only build with the latest events? Because I'm imagining if you, I mean, it's a bit of an edge case, of course, but it's an interesting one. So if you're, you know, hitting save many times and every build says takes, say, 10 seconds, then you're basically going to have a quite long queue with every single build needing to get done before the next one can come. And then you don't really need these intermediate builds. So would it be uh, simple to basically build this, drop all the ongoing builds, the first ones in the queue, and just take the last one in the queue always? Yeah, the thing is that even with the, the, the back pressure I told you about because there were events being missed, the, the whole rebuilding process normally takes milliseconds. In most, in most case scenario, I saw it taking like one second and a half. So, yeah, so far I didn't see a need to, to cancel the, the rebuilding and start again. But it may be a good thing to keep an eye if you have a lot of files already mentioned. 
yeah, it's normally really, really fast. Even uh, I, I'm testing it in a small digital ocean machine. It is the cheapest one, which has also other, like 20 other applications running websites. Part of my DAO is extremely fast even with that. But it does, of course, that's thanks to, to, to Elixir processes. Okay. But, but that would be possible, to be honest, if it's needed. I, because right now the file watcher just notifies the file part. There's another one called file parser, another service. And then it notifies, okay, it's time to rebuild the content. And then file parser just iterates to the folder and rebuilds it. So it would be a matter of sending another signal to file parser cancel it and restart again. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So I think we have now a pretty good idea of like what, what you're going for with part of Markdown. I'm curious to hear like if you could make wave like a magic wand, right? And, and make this thing as perfect as we imagine it could ever be. Like what's, what's the vision, right? Like where do you want to go with this? Is this good as it is? And like you want to be a bit at a bit of like this renderer scenario maybe, or is there like some, some more bigger plans you want to go for in the future? Yeah, I would really love to have it build the content only by fragments, not everything, all, all, everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And that would be really helpful. But unfortunately, that would be only necessary for very extreme cases, such as the one that Eric told about, like thousands and thousands of, uh, hundreds of thousands of files. I think for 99% of cases, that won't be the case, unless part of MacDAO is adapted like for a big project or a big company that uses for the examples I gave, for example, for translation strings or, I don't know, feeding machine learning data (laughs) from some Git repository, then that would be very extreme case. Uh, The other thing I see, I would really love, like, for example, more granular caching. Caching, for example, right now there's a caching with all the posts you can get, and then you have separate caches, keys, like, right, for that you can get for each folder that you have content. And it's... And for example, let's say you have a folder called products and then a folder called chairs and wood chairs and plastic chairs, right? So if you call part of MarkDAO, get all, you're going to get all products in their categories. Then you can get the part of get content, uh, products slash chairs. Then you're going to get the chairs from wood and plastic. And then you can get part of MarkDAO products, chairs, wood. So only the wood chairs and then everything that's below that. So this is perfect already for me. But then I would uh, uh, like to add more, uh, even more granular caches, for example, regarding paginations, if you have a lot of content and things like that. For example, if you, even if you get only the last level folder, ch- uh, wood chairs, uh, but you have 10,000 chairs, all 10,000 chairs will be re- returned by you when you get those posts. So I would love a uh, granularity regarding that. Of course, you can use a... Uh, the, the very helpful ads.select function, which has a, a, a similar sequence, SQL query mechanism, where you can say, get only 10 posts, 20 posts. So this is a pagination solution already. But I would, I would like to have more granular made by Pardal or Markdown itself. Uh, let me see. Yeah, to be honest, I, and of course, as, as I told before, I would love all the plugin and parser uh, ecosystem. Because then I can see part of MarkDAO used, uh, used, being used uh, by many different Elixir applications across many different scenarios. I really want to take away that this idea, the, the idea that ah, part of MarkDAO is a thing for websites. Of course, right now it's only for websites, but it's not <laughs> in, the, in the in the under the hood. So, and the first step for me to to create it, the first thing that I'll do detach part of MarkDAO from being only a website thing right now 
is when I create the, the integration for the translation strings. Then we, I'm going to start to see like it really shine more than it already is for me. Yeah, that's basically that's it. Of course, I also needed to to create new examples. Right now, there is a separate repository uh, which is a Phoenix Live View Week Week page. So you basically run this Phoenix demo. You have your own week with the with the markdown files. Then I, I may create like new demos and examples that are not exactly websites. So I may help the further division of Markdown with those examples. Yeah, okay. So but basically you could say like, especially when you say that you want to specifically make part of Markdown, not only about Markdown. Yeah, that's the thing, <laughs> yes. Then, 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 then it could say like it's a it's like a content agnostic, reactive. I don't even know what to what to call it. Like I like I get what you're getting going. Yeah. I, I don't even have a name for it. And then the name will be a problem, right? I'll need I'll have to name it to Something else that's not Markdown and not publishing framework. No, Paddle yeah. not, not only Markdown. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> and then <laughs> instead of a reactive publishing framework, it would be a reactive content framework. Yeah. <laughs> now now, now I, I am conflicted with the future of the name. <laughs> Naming is one of the hardest problems in computer science. So that's right. Yeah. Don't worry yeah, about this. Yeah. <laughs> It makes me wonder what, where, what's actually, what's the origin behind the name Pardal? What's the story there? That's a good one. Pardal, I'll say that in Portuguese. Pardal means sparrow in, in Portuguese. Uh, the sparrow bird, you know. So when I was a, a kid, my, my dad would call me Pardal because he said that, uh, I had this smell of Pardal in my head. The, the, I, I smelled of bird in my head. So since then, Pardal is how he always called me. And then uh, when I was, I'm going to say when I was a kid, because I started programming when I was eight years old. So then I created my game website. I had, a, uh, I created some so native Windows softwares. And I always named them Pardal something. So Pardal Games, Pardal Web Editor. Even I even created, I don't know if you know about WAP, which was the first uh, way to build websites for phones. It, when you had those Nokia phones, the web pages were powered by something called WAP, which was a kind of XML mixer with the HTML. Yes. So I built one called Pardo WAP Editor. And then uh, with time, I, I stopped using Pardo for everything. And now I reached a point where I come on, what I am going to name this? Right now, this same repository, I think, has six different URLs because I created, I, I created with a name and then I changed the name, the name, the name again. And then, okay, let's start naming things Pardal again. Even as a tribute to my dad, that I always called dad. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the name. It's a sparrow, sparrow bird. Ah, exactly. I just ran a translation through Google Translate, and I, I saw yeah. that. So yeah, uh, part, uh, you, it's uh, Pardal with just one L. Then my my dad would call uh, right now with two Ls. It's a nice place to go if you need a logo for your project. <laughs> oh <right>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Any more questions from, from you folks? Otherwise, I'd bring us slowly to picks. I guess. Let me just, uh, there's another thing about the name. If you see in the Wiki dictionary in Catalan or Greek, it means panther or even a leopard. So it also, it also fits the project, which means like really fast content provides everything. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. And be before we go to picks, uh, Alfred, like, where would people, where can people reach you if they want to get in touch? Okay, my, uh, the only social network I use is Twitter. So 
its Twitter, uh, it's slash uh, Alfred Baldish. And then of course I have my website, which is still built with the WordPress, uh, alfredbaldish.com. Then I have my week, which I created with YouTube as a proof of concept for Pardo MacDowell, which is pardo.xyz. And then I have uh, different uh, YouTube channels. For example, I have one where I talk about uh, my open source projects, but the link is in my own website for that. Yeah, basically those are the, the three places, uh, Twitter and my website and my own week. But yeah, as I said, I do different studies. So every time I study something different, I create a new, either a new website or a new YouTube channel, or I think I have 16 YouTube channels. So yeah, I'm not going to name them all of them here. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a different, different version of buying domain names. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, do. <laughs> yeah, I normally buy the domain name and create a Twitter and an email and a YouTube channel. Yes. <laughs> I can totally not relate to that. <clears throat> <laughs> Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, <laughs> then let's bring us to picks, I guess. So, Eric, why don't you want to start us off with picks? Any picks you have? So, this week I'm going to go for the Pragmatic Engineer which is, quote, a weekly column with advice, observations, and inspiration across the software engineering industry. There was a guy who recommended this to me a few weeks ago, and I quickly signed up for this newsletter, and it's even a paid one. Uh, but there's like long-form articles that has in-depth articles on subjects such as onboarding into a new company, or the engineer career paths that you have at different companies, or how to analyze current uh, hiring trend in the software engineering industry at large and i just found these analyses to be really really good and in-depth so it's been a really really nice podcast uh, sorry not a uh, newsletter to subscribe to so far and something to enjoy you know on a lazy saturday or sunday when you're really just like in the mood for a long read which is really chill and nice so yeah highly recommended nice um ali what about you yeah i'm going to take a break from um job picks <laughs> this time for a change uh there is a Big Elixir, the Big Elixir coming up, I think next year, March. Um, uh, that's my pick. But there's also the CFP for talks, which is open. So uh, I know they're looking for speakers and it's going to be very Phoenix Live View centric. So the link will be in the show notes. But yeah, if you have any cool Phoenix Live View talks, I'm looking at you, Alfred. You should definitely submit um, um, a proposal. Very nice. So I'm going to go this week with a pick of something I very successfully applied a while ago at my new job. And it's a technique called Wadley mapping. And Wadley mapping was invented by a guy called Simon Wadley. And everybody who's like around the tech Twitter sphere might actually have seen this guy. Like he always tweets this long form Twitter threads with like X saying something and he responding to it, like these, these meta conversations going on. And he basically has this technique, which is... Uh, super good to visualize okay what is something which is high risk uh, in our particular context and what is something which is maybe um, low risk and where are we standing there right now and how can we move away from low risk to high risk or from from, com from com um, innovation to like more of a commodity thing and we used that very successfully in a workshop at my current company to like figure out okay what's what does our current backend system look like and where do we might want to invest some time to to 
simplify our whole setup and what's really important and what's not important. And there's a pretty cool course, um, learnwatlymapping.com, where you can get the gist of this thing and how to apply it. And it's like a, like a three hour video course where you basically do a water map of yourselves. Because like Simon Watley also has written a book, but that's like a 300 pages book, right? <laughs> so, which you just don't read in an afternoon, which is also supposedly very interesting. I haven't read it, but uh, it's very interesting to learn about, okay, how did you arrive at this, at this method? But if you only want to, to like take this technique and get the gist of it and apply it, then I found this course super, super helpful. And Everybody who's like interested in in the whole ideas of like domain-driven design and like what's a core domain and what's maybe a supporting domain, I found this technique super useful to like figure this out. So yeah, that's that's my pick for the week. And Alfred, as you now heard, like picks up basically anything you can think of you are interested in or excited about. Like a while ago, we also picked weird YouTube channels. So anything you would like to pick. All right, then... Folks, unless you have anything else to add, nobody is screaming. Then, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for being on the show, Alfred. Thanks a lot and for the invite and the, the interview. That's very nice. Yeah, it was great having you. That's great talking with you guys. Okay. And then tune in next week when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.